thrilled. I'm sorry for those of you who couldn't see over here. Uh, I felt guilty, me being pastor, having the best seat over there today. But I can vouch for you that uh, somebody was baptized and, and uh, it was a beautiful sight. I remember the highlight of my ministry was the day that I baptized 49 people. And it was just a great, great experience to see that there are people in this modern day and age who want to follow Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. If you've never been baptized and we're talking about growing up together in Christ, that would be a great next step for you. All you have to do is let one of the staff know and we'll get you scheduled for a baptism and look forward to, to witnessing that together and uh, what a great day that would be. I've been considering a verse of scripture, although it's not my text today, it's just kind of my launch, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I've had to come to grips with this a little bit because the Lord, his thoughts and his ways are a little bit different than my ways these days. Most of you know that I've been kind of battling kidney stones, and I'm not real happy about that, but that's the way it is. So over Christmas and into January, we, we got this side taken care of, and I thought that was the last puppy we had to deal with. Well, about two weeks ago, this side decided to act up a little bit, and I remember I was in on a Wednesday afternoon, and this thing kicked in, and, and uh, I popped a pain pill, and I drove back to Erie, and, and then I got in the hospital for two days, and uh, uh, so it's not where I want to be. And uh, you can pray for me, because this week, um, I'm having another procedure back in Erie in, in the hospital, and I cannot wait till this whole thing is over. In fact, I was with the doctor on Monday when he gave me the bad news that I've got to go into another procedure. And uh, so... Uh, I said to him, Doctor, after hearing this, I'm not real happy. I'm probably going to change my sermon on Sunday to John 8 and preach a different version of what it says there. He who is without sin passed the first stone. Well, <clears throat> kind of caught him by surprise, and uh, uh, he, he was <laughs> rather laughing there. But uh, you can pray for the doctor that he'll have wisdom too and that somehow uh, we'll take care of that this week. I'll be totally transparent with you. You know, I, I, I don't think we should ever, in fact, today we're talking about let love be without hypocrisy. You know, you are what you are, you get what you get. This morning in the first service, I noticed I didn't have my fastball in, in preaching. You know, I'm thinking about spring training and, and uh, how the pitchers have reported and now the games are coming up. <clears throat> but I could feel that I wasn't at full strength in my in my sermon in the first service, so I just want you to know that it may not and probably won't be full strength where I am right now. So uh, uh, the Spirit of God promises, though, to work in weakness, doesn't he? So uh, let the Lord just work in a way through the message that I have for you today that God would work even in spite of human weakness. We're talking about growing up together and that each of us needs to take a next step and then another step. My next step won't be the step that you probably have to take, and vice versa. But one of the steps I'm glad that we're all taking together here at Old North is the E100 challenge. And that is we'd be reading 100 of the most essential stories in the Bible together each week. And we're going to put on the screen what it is that we should be reading this week. This is week three already. And the readings for this week are contained in pages 21 through 26. 
You can do it alone. You can do it with family. You can do it with friends, an accountability partner. But it's so important that we all go through this together. Can you imagine the benefit of every one of us for 20 weeks being in the Word together, reading the same things, getting this overarching view of the Scriptures? It's a phenomenal thing that I, I, I just hope every one of you will do it. You might be saying, well, I don't have the money to, to buy that. I want you to know that some people have given extra money, that all you have to do if you need one to go up there and to say, you know, I need one of those books and I understand that there's a scholarship and they're going to give you one. And you can get that at the uh, uh, Growing Up Together Central right across the, the wall right there in the lobby. And I, I hope that you will be able to do that. Well, we've got another great passage today. And I'm going to read it. I'm going to ask you to stand we're in 1 Peter right now, and if you don't have a Bible, um, you could take page 1014, and for the rest of the sermon, follow through. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you could take one home with you, and that would be our gift to you. But follow along as I read out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. <clears throat> Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. You may be seated. As far as I can tell, the main, the main theme of chapter 1 is being born again. And I want to be sure that everybody in this congregation knows what it means to be born again. Peter uses that word in verse 3 and again in verse 23. And it means to beget again or to be reborn. And I want to be sure that you know what Peter is talking about. The reason we have to be born again is this. All of us have been born the first time or we wouldn't be here. Most of you were born in a hospital and out came this cute little bundle and everybody oohed and all over you and, and there you were born the first time. The only problem with our first birth is it messed us up right from the beginning because it says that the Word of God says that we inherited Adam's sin nature. So that cute little baby that you were was a sinner. And what happened as soon as you were able to validate that you did. Nobody had to teach you to be, to be bad. They had to teach you to be good. But you became a sinner, and I have become a sinner. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And by our first birth, the Word of God says we cannot enter into heaven. The flesh and blood cannot in inherit the kingdom of God. And so the Bible says we need a second birth. It is a spiritual birth. Like we had a physical birth, we need a spiritual birth to get into heaven. And that spiritual birth is when we realize that we have sin and we cannot save ourselves. And there's nothing we can do to earn our way into heaven. And we cry out to God and he hears the prayer of the sinner. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, regenerates us or bears us again or, or we become born again of the Spirit of God. And we become a son of God, a daughter of God. And now we have the capacity to enter into God's heaven because we've been born the second time, the new birth. And so the question is, how many times have you been born? 
You're here today, I know, because you've been born the first time. But have you been born the second time? You cannot enter the kingdom of God without the spiritual birth, without the second birth, without being born again. And if, you've, if, if you have any question at all as to whether or not you've had that second birth, today you need to settle that question. Today could be the day of your new birth. Those people who were baptized know that they have been born again of the Spirit. And so to get to heaven, you need the second birth, the spiritual birth, and I trust that you have that. Now, in today's passage, as in Peter's day, I think most of us in this room have probably been born again the second time. And if we have been born again, then the passage in chapter 1 is saying that two things should be true of us. If we are born again, there should be evidence. And the first evidence Pastor Chris talked about, and so did I, is that we would evidence more and more holiness, more likeness to God's character. Apart from being born again, we can't do that. We show off our sin nature. But when we're born again, we start to show a new nature, the holiness of God. There's a second thing that validates that we've been born again. And we're looking at it this week. It's that we learn to love in a way we've never been able to love before. Or at least we should. And if we love that way, it says that we have been born again. So if you have been born again in the Spirit, two things should be true in your life. A growing holiness and more and more love for other people, especially Christians. And so that, that brings us to the big idea today that we're looking at found in verse 22. As born again people, we need to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Let me say that again. As born again people, we need to love each other earnestly from a pure heart. Now, that sounds pretty easy, but every one of us knows how hard it is to love other people in our lives, and some of you already are thinking about some people that are really, really hard to love. I want to give you three examples how hard it is to love even fellow Christians. Example number one is the history of the church. If you know anything about the history of the church, you know it's a bloody history. You go back to the days of the Reformation. Some Christians were killing other Christians. You go back to the Crusades, all the blood that was shed in the name of Christ and religion. Even in our modern day, the blood, the blood shed in Belfast and so forth as, as they're fighting uh, different battles like that over in Ireland. It's amazing how things have hurt the, the, the love of Christ's people. The second illustration is the splits in the church. Some of you know churches that have split wide, and there was not love. There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of rancor going on in business meetings, and people would get up and leave, and it would be a bad scene, and it's been hard. A lot of the denominations that we have have come because of splits over lack of love. Here's a third illustration. Look at some of the odd ducks in the church. Now, I know there's no odd ducks in this church, but at other churches, they have strange kind of people that that are, are a little bit odd and unusual and people that are hard to love. But here is the teaching. Peter is saying to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. What's he talking about? How are we ever going to do that? Well, I want to share with you four guidelines today right out of the text that will help you and help me to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 
The first guideline is this. It's the prelude to love. What must be true in order to get us to the place where we can love other people? And verse 22 says very, very clearly that you need to be born again in order for us to love the way we ought to love. And he phrases it this way. We must have purified our souls by obedience to the truth. When you are born again, your souls are cleansed. You are forgiven. You get a new nature, partakers of the nature of God. And God is love. And we love him because he first loved us. So to ever have an opportunity or even a chance to love other people sincerely, earnestly from the heart, we need to be born again of the Spirit, having our souls purified. Now that's the theology. And we know that theology is kind of easy to believe in. But reality is a, is a different thing. And I know that the reality is, is that there's lots of Christians who don't love one another. The theology says they have been born again. They ought to love one another. That's the prelude. But they find it hard. And there are people who think that non-Christians love each other more than Christians love each other. Some of you remember the 80s sitcom, Cheers. Everybody was in the bar and loving each other, and they all knew each other's names. And there's a lot of churches where they don't know your name, and they don't seem to love each other. But it's so important to understand that no one is claiming that the church is perfect. And no one is claiming that non-Christians don't love other non-Christians. Sometimes even it looks more than Christians do. What I'm trying to say is this. Peter is teaching that no one will ever love other people to full capacity until they get born again. That's the prelude. Being born again more than anything else sets the stage for our ability to love other people sincerely from the heart. And as Christians, if that's not happening, then one of two things is true. Number one, if you're not loving consistently others from a pure heart, you may not be born again because born again people love. Or the second thing is, is that if you're not loving <clears throat> others consistently from the heart, you may not be growing up in Christ. You're stuck. And if you're not growing up in Christ, you're not going to be loving. And both situations are very, very serious. <clears throat> so what I want you to know, guideline number one, how is it possible to do what Peter says? You've got to be born again. And if you're not born again, it's going to be really difficult. It's difficult enough the way it is, but it's really going to be difficult and impossible to love each other from the heart. We need to be born again. That brings us to guideline number two, the people we love. We have the, the, uh, the first one was, what's the prelude to love? The second is the people to love. Who are these people we're to love? Who are the objects of our love and affection? Well, in our passage, it says we're to love other born-again Christians. Verse 22, he says, love one another. We're to love fellow Christians earnestly. Now, I want to clear something up. Does that mean that he's saying we shouldn't love non-Christians, only Christians? Well, what do you think? He's not saying that at all. But he is saying there's a special love that we need to have for Christians that we don't have necessarily for unbelievers. Consider this illustration. Marie and I have 
had the fortune of traveling uh, uh, different places in the world. And one day we found ourselves in the lobby of a hotel ready to leave in New Zealand. And uh, as we saw a group of people assembling there, they weren't with our group, uh, we noticed that a couple of the people were talking back and forth in terms that caught my attention. They were talking as Christians, and they were talking about a place that I had been in the States. And so it, it piqued my attention. And all of a sudden, knowing they were Christians, I walked over to them and I introduced myself and said, you know, not only have I been to where you're from, but I also know the Savior you know. And immediately there was a clicking going on between that, those couples and Marie and me that we didn't have with the rest of the group. There was kind of that love that just overflowed because we found out that we were Christians. And it was a great time of fellowship even though we were strangers. And so that's what we're talking about, is that in the family of God, even though there are many people in the world that don't know the Lord, when you meet people who know the Lord, there's that special connection, that special affection that should be there. <clears throat> well, what kinds of Christians are we talking about here? Because there's all kinds of Christians out there, and some of them are hard to love. So I want to be as practical as possible, and I, I came up with eight different categories of Christians that we need to love. There might be more than that, but I figured eight would fatigue us. So let's see where we are in this. Number one, the first group of Christians that we love ought to be our Christian family. Husbands loving wives, wives loving husbands, parents loving kids, kids loving parents, Brothers loving sisters, sisters loving brothers. But do you know that one of the hardest places to show love is in the Christian home? Isn't that something? Across America in churches, homes are a mess. There's anger and there's, there's uh, selfishness and there's all kinds of insensitivity and lying and fighting going on in Christian homes. Come on, Peter says, to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. It needs to start in the home. Is there an amen? Really. And some of you, I mean, even on staff, we're talking to, about the burden we have that some of the homes, even at Old North, aren't showing love inside the walls of their home. It's time to do what Peter said. A second category of, of Christians is our good Christian friends, those that we hang out with. Boy, are they easy to love, aren't they? They love us and we love them and how good that is. But you know, the only problem with that is, is that Jesus said you don't get credit for loving those who love you. He said in the Sermon on the Mount that even the Gentiles, the unbelievers, are able to love those who love them and you don't get credit. So it's a good thing to love those who are close to you and Christians, but you don't get any credit for it, okay? Here's the third, is our Christian acquaintances. In this room right now, there are many, many people that we kind of know each other's face and so forth, but we really don't know who they are and what their life is all about. And the Word of God tells us that we're supposed to step towards people that we don't know and, and being nice towards them and being affectionate towards them and paying some attention to them and loving on them, even people that we don't hang out with, letting them know we really care about them. The fourth one is sinning Christians. You know, there are some people that we know that have gone off into sin. And uh, what do we do with them? 
Well, the Word of God says we're supposed to love them. We're supposed to try to restore them. Sometimes we're supposed to confront them. That's all loving kinds of things. Now, there is a point where the New Testament says that if they continue down that path, you, you, you pull your love back in. You don't express that love. You, you, you separate from them. Why? Because if they feel the absence of love per adventure, they might feel that and return and repent because love has an incredibly compelling capacity to it. And if you take it away, then part of it is that they might feel lost that way and come back to Christ. But generally speaking, those who enter into sin were to love and try to win back to the loving arms of the Lord. Number five is Christian strangers. Now, there's a Greek word in the New Testament, philoxenia, which means lover of strangers. It comes over into the English as showing hospitality. And so when we get next to people who are Christians and we don't know them, we're supposed to love on them. We're supposed to show them attention. In fact, back in the early days of the church in the first century, they didn't have airplanes and cars and so forth, so they couldn't travel that far, but they had to go on a journey. The hope was that if there was a Christian household on the journey, that that household would open up their house to the stranger and put them up overnight. Now, I can imagine some of the wives saying, but honey, I didn't dust my house yet. It's a little bit dirty. Maybe we shouldn't have them come in and everything. That wasn't the consideration back then. Is if you needed a place and you were a stranger, there they were to help you in whatever your need was. And we need to be there showing our love for Christian strangers. Number six is needy Christians. In the New Testament, it's clear that we're to show our love by assisting those in need. It could be widows in affliction. It could be prisoners. It could be orphans. It could be uh, the poor. Show our love. Number seven is a very interesting one. Let's grab a hold of this one. We're calling it EGR Christians, an abbreviation which stands for extra grace required. We've all met people like that. They need extra care. They're emotional black holes. They're very draining people. Are you following me? And yes, they are in every church. This is a coin, this is a term coined by Dave Galloway in the 90s. And it's defined as people in church whose ongoing spiritual and emotional needs frustrate the efforts of others to interact with that person or minister to that person. And guess what? As pastors, we run into extra grace required people all the time. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. I'm going to tell you a little sin of mine. Every once in a while on my day off, I would go to the mall and I'd have to get something. And I'd see in pennies or something in the aisle an extra grace required person. Now, what would I do? Well, you would think I'd go up there and say, well, hello, how are you doing and everything? So good to see you and love on them. No, I would go down the other aisle and hope they wouldn't see me and that kind of thing. Now, was that doing what Peter said? No, it wasn't. So we've all been there. But you know what? It's hard to love on people that are hard to love. And yes, there are times that we need to set boundaries, but we cannot write them off. I heard of a recent situation where somebody kicked somebody out of a group because they were hard to love. It's not the way to do it. The, the last one is Christian enemies. Hmm, isn't that an oxymoron? But the truth of the matter is, the reality is, there are some situations in relationships where Christians get sideways with each other. 
and they fail to solve that, and they live in animosity. And you know, one of the surprises of my life in ministry is that I found out, and I didn't think it was possible, that in the course of my ministry, there's some people ended up not liking me. I mean, really not liking me. And after everything I tried to do failed, we still weren't able to reconcile. But my heart is still that somehow we could bridge that gap and love each other. And, and, and the Word of God says if that happens, Jesus said to love your enemies and to pray for them. And, and Paul said to feed your enemy. And in so far as possible, depends on you to be at peace with them. And so we even are called to love our enemies. So do you see the span here? The people we're called to love from our family all the way across to those who are hard to love to our enemies, which now leads me to guideline number three because you're probably feeling a little tension. I know that I am. And so we need to know what about how much love we're supposed to do. So guideline number three is the passion, the passion of love, verse 22. And we, we go in here and we look at these are words of intensity emotionally. The word sincere has the idea of genuine caring affection, not feigned outward appearance, that I, that I care for you, but an honest heart. Verse 22 says earnestly, and that is a strong, deeply felt, fervent disposition towards someone. Literally, it means a full stretch. I'm totally involved in the love that I have for someone. That's what Peter is talking about. So I know what you're thinking. It's what I was thinking when I was studying this week. Are you telling me, Peter, that I've got to love all these people on Al's list the same way with the intensity you're talking about? Well, I'm, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to give you two clarifications of my fears that you might feel I'm letting you off the hook, but I'm not. But I do want you to understand the realism of what Peter is talking about here. So let me give you two clarifications if you're feeling like I can't love everybody that way or people certainly aren't loving me that way. Let me give you two clarifications. Clarification number one is the degree of passion. And let me put it out here so you get it the way it is. Peter is not saying that we love every other Christian with equal intensity. Anybody want to say amen? <laughs> let me put it this way. My wife and my uh, children are Christians, so we're to love each other as Christians. But I need to tell you, that I love them more than I love your family. I mean, I don't go buying you Christmas cards and, and birthday gifts at Christmas time, all the families of the church, because I'm supposed to love you. I love my family with more intensity than I love your family. Uh, Marie and I have three surviving parents, and we have all tons of aunts and uncles and cousins and everything. And I have to tell you, they're, most of them are Christians. I love my in-laws and my relatives more than I love your in-laws and your relatives. Just the way it is if they're Christians. The intensity cannot be the same. Marie and I have been in a small group for eight years. I love those in my small group more than I love those in the other small groups in church. It's just the way it is. It's okay to love some more than others. You're saying, well, would God approve of that? Well, listen, think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus loved the multitudes, didn't he? But then he had a tighter love for the 70, and he had a tighter love still for the 12, and he had a tighter love still for the three, Peter, James, and John. So even Christ modeled that kind of thing. But I want you to see, even though there's no prohibition 
about loving some more than others as Christians. Here is where it really counts. Clarification number two. The authenticity of the passion. Peter says in verse 22, it ought to be sincere. And that word means without a mask, without hypocrisy. And even though we cannot love, we don't have enough love to love everybody equally in our lives as Christians, it's just impossible. None of us is to be a hypocrite towards anybody in the church. We're not supposed to butter somebody up and then go talk about them behind their back and make them feel they're loved and then really be inauthentic about that. We are to love each other honestly and not with hypocrisy. Now, having said that, I want to mention three trends that are disturbing because it shows a weakness in the church of Christ in terms of this sincere and earnest love. Number one trend is the divorce rate among Christians. There's a violation of Peter's words here to be sincere and to love one another. And I've been praying for decades that somehow Christian couples would get this right. That they would understand how to sincerely love each other earnestly from a pure heart. Because I'd never heard of any couple come before a pastor on the wedding day and says, we're getting married because we want to make each other miserable. I've just never seen that. But something happens. And how we need to call couples to accountability to find this love that is sincere and earnest from their heart. The second trend that is disturbing is the movement of Christians from church to church. You know, back in Erie, I belonged to a group of pastors, and we talk about how people just move from church to church. They get upset about this or knows out of joint about that. And, and before you know it, they're moving all over the place, and all we have to do is play some music for their musical chairs. That's not showing love. The Word of God tells us as Christians to love each other to the point of working things out that we are family, we just don't walk away from each other. And the third trend is the general unfriendliness in churches. Do you know that people come to church, they need to feel love, but often Christians are hanging out with their own Christian friends in church. You know, when you come to church, what you need to do is you need to realize, I can meet, hang out with my Christian friends during the week. I'm on a mission when I come to church, and that is to love on strangers to love on people that I may not know. But you might be thinking, well, what if I walk up to a stranger and say, hi, are you new here? And they say, well, I've been coming to Old North for 10 years. And you're going to be embarrassed. No, no. If you haven't met them in 10 years, it's high time you do. And then they were strangers. They're strangers no more. You love on them. I got the results from the questionnaire that I asked a few weeks ago. And I ask you, how connected do you feel at Old North? That was a question on how, love, how much love do you feel you're, you're, giving, you're getting at Old North. And 470 respondents, 10% said they didn't feel very connected. 30% said they felt somewhat connected. 23% said they felt their connections are getting better. And 37% said they feel very connected. So 37% felt very loved and others were kind of in flux back and forth. And you know what? That's good. I mean, that's not a bad statistic here of what we saw. But it, it, it's a call that we all turn up the dial a little bit more on loving each other. In fact, wouldn't it be great if it were said in the region that the friendliest church in the valley was Old North Church? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, go ahead, 
clap. Well, I mean, let's, let's bring it to pass. Let's focus. You know, one time, um, several times, I mean, I have this little side of me that's not always the greatest. And, and so I, I went to a couple of churches that were large, and I kind of pushed the envelope. I, I stood in the lobby, and I just kind of walked around to see if anybody would say hello to me. <laughs> Guess what happened? Nobody said hello to me. I felt like I had gone to the mall and that I was in like the big, you know, area, the commons and people just passing me and everything. No one said hi to me. Don't let that happen here at Old North. You just kind of leave your friends that are really good to the side while you come in here and look for people to love on and show that kind of love. It's so important that people feel loved upon, which leads me to guideline four. It's the power of love. Where do you get the power to love this way? Well, let me share what Peter has to say. Because the power of love is drilled down immediately here. The driving force behind loving one another is not what is in us innately because we don't have enough love. It is the eternal word of God that begins to explode in us as we relate to it. And the word of God is everything we're not. Verse 22 or verse 23 says that we are like grass. We got a few moments to flurry and, and, and to flourish and show off a flower and then we go by. But the word of God is eternal. It is life-giving. It is life-changing. And when it gets inside of our soul, it begins to change who we are and it begins to generate love for God, love for holiness, and love for each other. It's the word of God that's able to do this. And so it not only saves our souls, the word of God, the word of God changes our lives by daily exposure to it when sincerely taken into our heart. Now listen to this. There are millions of Americans who say they are born again. We also know statistically that millions of Americans are not into the Word of God very often at all, that the Bible sits on the shelf and collects dust, and that millions of Americans don't even come under the preaching ministry of the Word of God very often. No wonder so much difficulty is in American homes and people's lives and loving one another. The Word of God isn't taken in. If the Word of God is not taken in, love cannot be given out. And so there must be a call in America to get back to the Word of God, that those of us who've been born again of the Spirit infuse the Word of God into our hearts. And when the Word of God is infused into our hearts then love begins to overflow for brothers and sisters in Christ from the Christian home to the enemies that may have happened in our life experience. Does that make sense? And so, yes, it is hard to love people who don't look like us and don't smell like us and who don't whatever. It's hard to live with people who are extra grace required. It's hard, a lot of things. But you know what? The Word of God is the power working in us to help us love those who need to be loved. I'll never forget the day I was working with this couple. Their marriage was falling apart, and I had done everything I could possibly do, giving them principles and psychology and, and tying to the Word of God. Finally, I got so frustrated because it was so obvious to me that all they had to do was do what the Bible told them to do, and they'd have a decent chance of making it. So they came into my office one day, and I said to them, all right, all the principles and all the guidelines we talked about, let's put them to the side. I'm going to read the Bible to you, and only the Bible, and then I want you to respond to it. And so I opened the Bible, and I began to read verses like this. Put aside falsehood and speak the truth, that will, and speak the truth with each other. When you get angry, don't sin. Don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouths. 
Put slander and malice aside. Be kind and tenderhearted to each other. Forgive each other as God forgave you. Don't repay evil for evil. Never avenge yourself. Things like that. And do you know what the wife said to me? Here's what she said to me. That's the Bible. We need something practical. We need meat to turn our marriage around. You know what I almost did? I almost fell out of my chair. I gave them the eternal word of God in plain, practical ways that could help them love each other, and they couldn't see it. It's the word of God that is the life changer to generate love. Well, church, as I close, when you get born again, two things happen. Number one, you get a sensitivity towards holiness. Number two, you get a new capacity to love. And you know me well enough by now that when I preach the word of God, I preach for a result. I preach that you would respond to it somehow. That the words of the word of God just wouldn't go over a cliff somehow and you just walk out of here and it would be totally irrelevant. No, we want life change. And so here's what I want you to do right now. I want somebody's face to come to your mind. Uh, The face of somebody who's hard to love in your life. I want a name to go with that face. Somebody in your home. Somebody who's a Christian in your neighborhood. Somebody who's a Christian in your workplace. Someone who's a Christian at school or wherever it might be. Do you have a face? Do you have a name? This person is a challenge. You have a hard time loving them. Is that person there? Then I want, you to, I want to ask this question. Are you willing to change how you're behaving towards them? Are you willing to s- stop sabotaging the relationship? Are you willing to stop escalating there? Are you willing to take the words of God to heart where it says to love each other, be forbearing with each other, forgive one another, speak good things to another, do kind things for each other? Are you willing to do that for a while and show love rather than the things of the flesh that only bring a relationship down? If you are willing to take a next step You cannot grow spiritually as long as you do not love somebody earnestly from the heart. Are you willing to take a next step? If you are willing to let the word of God sweep across you to try to love that person you see more tomorrow and the next day than you did yesterday, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are because I'm going to pray for you. I'm standing. There's somebody in my life. There's a face in front of me right now. And I'm standing in front of you. Are you willing to stand with me and let me pray for you that that person that's struggling in your heart to love, that you will love them more today through the power of the word and the spirit than you did yesterday? If so, you stand right where you are. Many did in the first service. Let it be from a sincere heart. I think there's so many of us who are struggling here. Let's have a breakthrough. Let's do something about it. Father, You see those who have stood. I stand here. There's a person in my life I need to love in a new way. It's been very, very hard. And there are people that need to be loved through these people, Lord. Would you love on the people that are in their hearts and minds through these people, even though there is a difficult situation, a difficult uh, power to do that? Lord, I pray there be a breakthrough after breakthrough. If it's in the home, Lord, may there be breakthroughs all across Old North Homes this week. If it's in some other arena, Father, may there be breakthroughs. May we learn to love each other from a pure heart earnestly, as Peter said in this scripture, and make it our own reality. And I pray it in God's 
name and everybody said amen. Would you all stand now?